0: while back I was given a book written by George Barna called Revolution Uh, here's the book up on the screen here those of you all not familiar with uh, Barna he is a Christian stats guy and he and his group have reported on a lot of helpful uh, statistics about the state of things within the church and with non-believers in the world and their findings have been very helpful to pastors and and church leaders like myself. And in this book, Revolution, what Barna does is he reports on a group of believers that he calls revolutionaries. He explains that this group's sole focus is on their relationship with God and they really don't see the church, the local church, as being all that necessary. And we know people like this. This has really, really become a trend uh, with people in my generation, especially. But we, we know people like this people who just don't believe the church is an important part of the Christian life. So, what they do is they, they stay at home, they believe that they can be a faithful follower from the house. By watching TBN or now you know podcast on on their computer with their family Sunday morning, send a check to a televangelist by mail and say we 've been to church we 've done our part now, like I said, the stance. that that Barna gives about the rise in this group of people and their mentality is very helpful to pastors and church leaders. But the problem with this book, so I'm not giving a book recommendation here because there's a major problem with this book. The problem is the prescription that Barna gives is not helpful at all. In fact, I would say that the prescription that Barna gives in this book is worse than his diagnosis. What what Barna says in this book is that's just the way things are headed, so we just need to embrace it. We need to be okay with it. We need to embrace the fact that people are seeking to follow God outside the church Walls. There's a major issue that I have with that prescription, and it's simply that it's not biblical. It's not. And we should know this is the case by now. Those of y'all that have been with us for a long time, you should know this. But just going through this series, because over the past couple of weeks we've been discussing the vital role that the local church plays when it comes to your growth and godliness. And this morning, we're going to continue with this series entitled Discovering Fellowship. And you'll remember from a few weeks ago, and last week as well that I shared with you that the, the mission for all churches and for all believers given by Christ is that we are to make disciples. That's just what our church mission statement says here at Fellowship. So in case you missed it, we're going to look at it again. Let's go to the church mission statement up on the screen. says this, Our purpose as a church, Fellowship Bible Church, exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. And what we've discussed so far in this study is that the church, the local church, this local church, is the place where this happens. The church is to be the place where disciples are made. The church is to be the place where people are escorted to Christ, they grow in godliness, and and they are equipped to do the same. This church is to be the place where you you come to know Jesus. It's the place where you grow in your knowledge of Him. And the church is to be the place where you get equipped to use the gifts God has given you for ministry so that the church is built up and so that God's gospel advances. In other words, congregational life is very, very important. The church is very important because it is the means by which we mature in our faith as followers of Jesus. Now here's the issue. Understanding that we need the church is a very difficult concept for many to grasp today. It wasn't in in the day this this letter was written, people would have no concept of the fact that there would be Christians outside of the local church. They knew there were wolves within, and we learn that when we read the letters to the churches, but There was no concept of believers following Christ outside of the local church. But that's our mentality today. We've been taught from an early age to be dependent upon no one or nothing but ourselves. If you want something done right, we're told what? You do it yourself, and the same is true. In our spiritual lives, many believe. And the result of this mentality is we often fail to value the church and value relationships with other believers as we should because we're brought, to, we're brought up to be independent. And that's what, the way we view our spiritual lives. Oftentimes we think my Christian life is all about me and my Bible and my God and nothing else. I don't need anybody else. I don't need somebody more mature pouring into me. I don't need a pastor teaching me. I don't don't need believers to get where I need to be spiritually. Once again, if you want something done right, you do it yourself. And because of this bootstrap me, myself, and I mentality, we don't value the local church. We don't value relationships the way God intends. Now, listen closely when I tell you this. That's a problem. That is a major issue, and here's why. What we discover as we read God's Word is that one of the key ways for us to grow in Christ, one of the key ways for us to mature in our faith is through valuing relationships and connecting with God's people in the church. Just go through your Bible and read how many times it says one another. How do you do those one another's if you don't associate with one another? You can't be faithful, can you? If you don't associate with God's people, it's as simple as that. We're going to find this morning that if you want to grow in Christ, it's not going to happen unless you connect with God's people in His church. That's why we at Fellowship are all about connecting. We at Fellowship are all about fellowship. Imagine that, right? So my goal this morning is to further prove this point to you, to make the argument from God's word that for us to grow in Christ as believers and as a church, we're going to have to value healthy relationships within the church. We're going to have to connect with God's people. If you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 19 through 22 this morning. In this passage, Paul gives three descriptions of God's people, three metaphors for who God's people are that really show us the importance of us gathering together and connecting with one another. I believe if we truly grasp what Paul's saying here, we will, we will value healthy relationships in the way we, we should and, and better understand the importance of connecting with God's people. Here's the first metaphor that Paul gives. Number one, we are equal citizens of God's kingdom. That's the first metaphor he uses. Equal citizens of God's kingdom. Let's begin in verse 19. Paul says, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. Now that phrase, so then, at the very beginning of this verse, also translated consequently reminds us, we've just jumped smack dab in the middle of a passage of Scripture, right? And whenever we do that, we try not to do that very often. We try just to go chapter by chapter from the beginning to the end. But when we do this on occasion, it's always important that we ask the question, what is going on in this passage? What's the context? Well, Paul is writing to the believers of his day, and he is addressing an issue with them. At this time, in this day, there were two different groups of people in the church there were Jewish Christians and there were Gentile Christians in certain areas there were mainly just Jewish congregations in other areas mainly Gentile congregations and in certain churches there were both Jews and Gentiles together and there is tension between these two groups now I know this is a foreign concept to us because there's never been any tension between believers in our churches today right yeah, no, you know I'm being sarcastic, right? We can relate. Of course, there is. You can't go anywhere and not witness tension at some level between believers. And the churches in Paul's day were no exception. There is tension here between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And the issue is one of the issues is that the Gentile Christians in this day were being made to feel as if they were second class Christians. The Jewish Christians believe they're, they're the people of promise, right? And, and, and we're a little more special. Though we're, you, you've been grafted in, we're, we're truly the sons of Abraham. They made the Gentiles feel as if they were second-rate, lower-class, because they were not Jewish. And Paul, knowing this is the case, says, No, that's wrong. There are not two different groups of people. You still have some of that today, don't you? Paul says no. There are not two different groups of people. There's not Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians and one is more important than the other. No, Paul is saying the two have been brought together. These two groups, Jews and Gentiles, have been brought together. They have been made one in Christ. Look back up in verse 14 of Ephesians 2. I'll show you where Paul says this. He says, for he himself... Is our peace. Christ is our peace, who has made us both, talking about both groups, Jews and Gentiles, He has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It's a reference to the temple and what divided the Jews and the Gentiles. This is not the only place where Paul makes this kind of statement. He says in Galatians, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. You'll read that this week in your scripture reading. There's no difference. What Paul is saying here in this passage is there are to be no divisions in Christianity. There's not Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There are just Christians. The two groups have been made one in Christ Jesus. Look back at verse 19. Paul says, So then... Because you who were once two are now one, because there's no longer this division between you, because this is the case, you are no longer strangers and aliens, Gentiles. You are no longer outsiders. The word strangers and and aliens here could, could be used to describe a group of people who live in a different country, in a different culture, foreigners who don't have the rights of, of citizens. That's what that word means. Have any of you ever been outside the U.S. and felt that way? Anybody? Ever been on a mission trip? I know I, know I feel that way at times when I've gone to Nicaragua and other places. Now, now, they're not to, to, to blame for that. It's not their fault. They're very friendly. They're very welcoming. They're, they're, they're grateful we're there, but you still feel that way. I mean, when I go... I don't know my way around I'm not a citizen I couldn't vote there I couldn't I couldn't stay there if I wanted to people at times they refer to me as a gringo or or an American the currency is different different culture different language I'm an outsider I'm on the outs culturally and linguistically right Ron yeah but you know what happens missionaries who go there they go and they learn the language they learn the culture they stay they remain committed they begin to to view the culture with two different lenses one lens of the Western world and one lens of the the people where they're ministering this happened with with Jim and Melanie and the, the more they, they, they become fluent in the language the longer they stay the more they respect the cultures you know what those those barriers those dividing walls they begin to come down Paul is saying to the Gentiles here, he's saying at one time, you were separated in this way. You were foreigners. You were aliens from God's Jewish people, but no longer. You have been brought together. You are now one in Christ. You are equally God's people. There may be some of you here this morning who feel that way spiritually at times when you enter into this church. Maybe... You feel like an outsider from others because you were not raised in a Christian home like other people in the church. Maybe you're not as knowledgeable of the Bible as the next person. Maybe it's because you you have drifted from the Lord for a while and you're you're, you're you've been brought back but you've never really gotten back and felt plugged in and felt a part of the church. I want to encourage you this morning. If this is you, if you're trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, you are a citizen of God's kingdom, same as me, same as every other believer. There's no such thing as second-tier Christianity. Do not let that mindset that you are second-rate, second-tier, prevent you from being who God has called you to be. So negatively, Paul says here, we are no longer foreigners and aliens, and then he continues with the positive word here. He says, but, You are fellow citizens. In other words, you have in Christ, you have full citizenship in God's kingdom in Jesus. You are equal citizens of God's kingdom. And get this, church, when we realize this, When we realize that we are equal citizens of God's kingdom as believers and when we live this reality out and when it affects what we say and what we do, you know what begins to happen when the church realizes and applies this truth? The church begins to reflect the reality of the gospel. Let me explain what I mean. God's church has the potential to be a powerful illustration of the gospel. You ever looked at some churches? You ever taken a look at our church, other churches, people who attend? They're they're from all different walks of life, aren't they? They are. Church is made up of male and female, young and old, people with different styles, different tastes, different races, different cultures, rich and poor, all of these different people. You would never expect to be together and they gather together as a church. Now, what's the common bond that holds all of us together? It's Jesus. It's Jesus, right? In Christ, we as diverse as we are. That happens in Nicaragua, doesn't it, Brent? Boy, we gather together. Different language and all, worshiping the one true God. In Christ, we as diverse as we are become one body. In, In Christ, we become equal citizens of God's kingdom. The church is made up of unlikely people who have been called out by God and have been changed from the inside out who are trusting in Christ. People you would not expect to hang out together. People you would not expect to be friends. People who maybe at one time have been enemies. It's people with nothing in common, but the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel brings them together like nothing else could. It's Christ and his gospel that bring that dividing wall down. And it's in Christ that we can come together. We can become one. We can love one another. No matter our differences in this way and when we do this when the church does this we demonstrate the reality and the power of the gospel to the world we do believers you see how important it is that we come together that we not neglect meeting together as is the habit of some that we connect with one another no matter our age, no matter our gender, no matter our cultural differences. It's important that we realize that we are equal citizens of God's kingdom. One of the surest ways to ruin our witness for Christ to this world is to neglect his people, to not associate with God's people due to these lesser differences or to only be loving and friendly to those like us. Christ has torn down those barriers. He has placed believers into his one kingdom together. People are able to see that God is love and that Christ is Lord when they see his church living in harmony with one another no matter what. So let's strive for that. It's very important for us to realize that we as believers, we are equal citizens of God's kingdom. That's the first point. We're going to move quickly through the second and third, okay? Second description Paul gives is that we are also equal members of God's family. As if... Being citizens of God's kingdom were not enough. I mean, be honest, that's great, right? In and of itself, we have moved from enemies to God's kingdom people. Get this, God's work in Christ, it draws us even closer than that. In that, in Christ, we are made members of God's household. Paul says, you are members of the household of God. In other words, you are family. You ever referred to your your church as your family? Your church family? That's right. That's biblical. That's what Paul's saying here. And once again. Paul says this to make the point, there's no partiality, no favoritism in God's family, no divisions with God's people. Once again, at the time, that's how the Gentiles felt. I mean, they they thought, yeah, I I mean, we're at the table, you know, we're in the family, sort of, but we're still outsiders. Again, Paul says, no, because of your faith in Christ, all of you, without exception, should be treated the same. You're viewed the same by God, Paul says, when you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, you're in. You're in the family. You've been brought in as a son or as a daughter, as equal with all other believers. You are just as much a part of the family of God as any other follower of Jesus. And because this is the case, Paul goes on later in Ephesians to say, because this is the case, you need to act in the way God expects a member of his family to act. He says in Ephesians 4.1, it's the great swing verse that divides the first part of Ephesians and the second part in Ephesians one, He says, therefore, in light of... Chapters 1 through 3, in light of all uh, you are in Christ, what God has done for you in Christ, in light of that, I urge you, he says, therefore, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling to which you have been called. In other words, because you're an equal citizen of God's kingdom, because you're a child of God, you need to act like it. That's what our Father wants. He wants us to learn to live together as believers, to live as brothers and sisters in Christ, not in isolation with just him, but with him and with one another. When we have issues with one another, God doesn't want us to just part ways. I'm sorry, if that's your mentality, that's wrong. He doesn't want that. If it's not a doctrinal issue, just a petty dispute that you're having, he doesn't want you to cut ways. He don't want you to say, you know what? I'm just going to be the church from my house. I'm just going to serve God in front of my TV and my home. That way I can hear God's word and not deal with this people. No, God wants you to deal with his people. He wants you to live in relationship with one another because we're a family. There are some that I've encountered that are that are extremely judgmental of the church. They're like, oh, that church, they have this issue, that issue. Look how unspiritual they are. I can't possibly uh, be a part of that church. And, oh, this church has this, this, that. That's such a pharisaical attitude. Are you saying you're more spiritual than Paul? Did Paul quit on the church? Did Paul say, I'm not associating with the church at Corinth anymore because they are messing around with temple prostitutes and 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 committing incest those were the sins they were guilty of what did Paul do he say nope now he went to them he wrote to them he ministered to them Paul did not quit on the church so either you're more spiritual than Paul or there's something wrong we're not to be quick to quit on the church it's God's family If God has called you out and has brought you into his family, he expects you to live in relationship with him alongside them. He expects you to value his family, love his family, connect and remain connected to his family. Number three, third description that God uses about the church. The third description he gives of the people of God is that we are a building. It's a little bit different. We are equal parts of God's building. Look at at verse 20 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here, Paul describes God's people as a building. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? So in this passage... We're referred to as equal citizens of God's kingdom, equal members of his family, here equal parts of his building. And notice he says here that the foundation of this building is the work of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ. Now, what is Paul getting at here by giving us this metaphor? Well, What he's telling us is that God is at work building a community of people. That's what he's up to. And the apostles and the prophets, they play a pivotal role in that they are the foundation layers. They have laid the foundation for us. And I think in this passage it gives us a good argument for the fact that there are not still apostles and prophets in our churches today like there were in this day by this definition. Because Paul mentions here, they are a part of the foundation. They played a pivotal role, a foundational role in in the initial construction of God's building. Now, I know that's just a metaphor. We want to be careful not to press the details too much to develop our theology, but I think this is one of those passages that gives a strong argument for that. The apostles and the prophets, they are the foundation of God's building. What have they done? they paved the way for us, right? They have written God's revelation of Christ for us in the New Testament. They have taken that message out to the world. They have made Christ known. They have started churches based upon this testimony. They're the reason why we know Jesus, because of their obedience, because of their faithfulness. Paul goes on to say the chief cornerstone of this building is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when many of us, when we think of a cornerstone today, if we think of it at all, it's a bit different than what Paul's talking about here. We normally think of a a cornerstone as as being a stone that's more symbolic and decorative in nature, right? We think of a stone that has a nameplate on the front of it of when the building was, was built. And uh, you often see that in some of the older buildings, but that's not really the idea that Paul has here in the first century to his first century audience. The cornerstone in the first century was the first stone. And it is the standard, get this, this is who Jesus is. It is the standard by which all the rest of the stones are measured and the way in which they're cut. That's what Jesus is for us. He's the standard, He's the one we're striving to be like, right? He is the ultimate standard. He's the one we look to. He's the one we follow after. He's the one we're striving to be like. He is the cornerstone of the kingdom. He is the first stone. He got all this. He opened up God's kingdom by coming and accomplishing the work he did, right? Look at verse 21. Paul says, "...in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord." This verse here explains what our our role is in assembling together uh, in in the assembly of of God's building and explains our role. What we're to be doing as a church today is we're to be coming behind Christ work as the cornerstone and the apostles' and the prophets' work as the foundation layers and we are to be pouring into one another. We're to be growing to become more and more like Christ so that this church is built up and so that the gospel advances to complete this structure that was started with Christ. That's what we're to be doing today, church. That's a pretty important role, isn't it? We're to be working on this building, that God has been building. That's what we're to be doing as a church. Now, the phrase joined together gives us the picture of bricks being laid. Now, in our day, it's a lot easier than it was in their day. Once again, knowing the context of the first century helps us to better understand this passage of Scripture. In the first century, the joining together and the putting together of a structure was a much more rigorous process. It was difficult because it involved chipping away and smoothing out stones and fitting them together to build a steady and firm structure. And what Paul is saying here is that God's people are to have this work done on them so that they're fitted together and joined together for this purpose. And at times, let's be honest, that's not an easy process, is it? It's very, very painful. It's the reason why many people stay removed from the church to avoid having that work done. They don't want to be exposed. They don't want to be chipped away at. They don't want to be smoothed out. They don't want to be sharpened. But that's the process that's necessary for your life as a believer and for this church to be built up in the right way to be a firm and steady building for God and for His glory. That's the work God wants done in your life, believers. That's why He wants you to plug into His church. To be exposed, maybe. Maybe. To be instructed yes to be chipped away at of course to be smoothed out brought in built up along with this body so that we can be a structure that of people a body of believers that brings glory to God in the way we live our lives in the way we conduct worship together in the way we minister in this community that's what Paul is doing Uh, Here with the Ephesians. That's what God's doing through Paul. He's using Paul to chip away the rough edges of both the Jews and the Gentile Christians. He's smoothing them out so they can be joined together and that's what he wants to happen here as well. And when I hear people who are not plugged into the church because they don't want that kind of experience, you know what that tells me? They're unwilling to humble themselves and allow God to do this work that is necessary for them individually and for the church. God is is building up His church. He is chipping away, smoothing His people out together as they pour into one another, and He is growing them up to be more like Jesus so that we will be joined together. For what reason? For what purpose? Look at verse 22. This is great. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now, the him here is Christ, and the you here is plural, okay? In Southern Hebrew, it'd be translated y'all, all right? Y'all with me? He says y'all. In him, y'all are being built together. He, he's speaking to the entire church here, all right? And he's saying y'all, Jews and Gentiles, are being chipped away, smoothed out, made more like Christ, joined together, so that when you come together, You'll be a holy dwelling place where God's presence is in a special and unique way. And guess what? He's doing the same kind of work today. He is building up this church fellowship. He's building up you individually, building up us together as we we commune with Him in His presence with one another. You and me, He is building up this church so that we'll become like that. When we... As believers individually are indwelt with the Spirit of God, when we, when we are who are indwelt with the Spirit of God fill with the Spirit, when we gather together with others who are indwelt with and fill with the Spirit, this place becomes a special meeting place, a holy dwelling place where God's presence is in a special and unique way. And we're to be growing up and pouring into one another and and growing more to be like Christ so that that God's presence is felt more and more and more in this place. And it just spills out and it's witnessed by other non-believers in our midst and to non-believers in our world as they observe us believers. That's the work. That's to be taking place here at Fellowship. So I hope you see this morning how important it is that we connect with one another and live in a relationship with God's people. Maybe you're here this morning, you're not a part of this kingdom community. I've been talking about, boy, after hearing what you've heard today, why wouldn't you, right? How exciting is it? Maybe you're not. Maybe you're here, you're not a part of this kingdom community. You're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation I'm gonna give you some sobering words this morning but it's Bible truth if Christ is not your Lord scripture is clear you're his enemy that's hard to hear but it's absolutely true and that's the bad news and you say well I thought the gospel meant good news well there's good news coming though that's the case Though if Christ is not your Lord, you are his enemy. The good news is that can all change for you. That can all change for you. If you would humble yourself, forsake your sin, stop going at life on your own, and bow the knee to King Jesus and make him your Lord. Your state, your condition can completely change. That's the great news. By faith alone, in Christ alone, you can move from being a condemned sinner to a forgiven saint, from an outsider to a citizen of God's kingdom, from an enemy to a son, by forsaking sin and making Christ your Lord. If you've not made that decision, that's my prayer for you this morning, that God would so work in your heart and life Expose your sin to you. Show you the work of Christ. Stir your heart for that work. Awaken you to faith so that you would respond in repentance and you would turn to Christ. If you've not made that decision, I urge you to make it today. Let's pray together.